0: Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Glad to have all of you here with us. It's great to see such a full house in the middle of the summer. And uh, one thing I want to talk about, we've been going through this series called The Powerful and the Powerless, but before I get into the talk. I want to use an illustration I think you should all be familiar with. How many of you have ever heard of the five love languages? Anybody heard that term before? Okay, I'm a little surprised more of you aren't raising your hand. But um, it's not necessarily like gospel or it's not something that's found in the Bible. But some somebody at some point, some psychologist, kind of discovered that there are five main ways that people can show love or receive love. The, the five that they talk about is that some people, the way that they wanna receive love is from gift giving. I want you to think of yourself, if you're someone that really likes to receive a gift, that that's a big deal to you. For some people, it's quality time together, that's what they like. For some people, it's words of affirmation, that if someone said, hey, you look really nice today, or hey, did you get your haircut? You look really great, that for them, that is that is the biggest gift that you could give. Or Or you know what? I want you to know that, like, you are just the most incredible mom to our kids. That's words of affirmation. Um, Anyway, there's a bunch of them, and it's pretty simple. There are certain things that you do that mean more to you or to that person than something else. Uh, The list of, there's other examples of things, for example, that spouses want, like support at the house. It might mean a whole lot to the mom if the dad is more engaged with the family, but it might not. For some it might be that they want to have more affection, they would, they would appreciate it more if their spouse was willing to show a little bit more affection and not be so cold. They might really like honesty and openness, that might be their top thing. The, the feeling of, I remember I've said in a sermon before, one time I got in trouble with Catherine when we were early married because I had gone through something really stressful and as I was driving home I called my dad. And I remember Catherine just kind of being like, I want, I want to be the person that you want to talk to about this stuff first. And I learned that that's important to Catherine in one of her love languages. For some, it's uh, financial commitment. Hey, it's a big deal to me that you're the one of us that's going and making the income for us to have this life. Um, and so anyway, Catherine's love language by far, and uh, you can maybe make your own guess, her by far love language is quality time. That means more to her than any of the other love languages is me spending time with her, and guess what is my least good at love language? It's quality time, and that's not because I'm I don't like spending. It just doesn't mean as much to me. If I and, and this is this is how you need to look at this. And uh, there's one author I don't really like uh, this term, but it's helpful for our imagination. Is he calls it a love bank okay this author that i've read one time and his point is is that there's certain deposits that you make to take care of and to love a person that are just worth more points and worth more a greater deposit than when you do something else so for catherine for example if she came home one day and i had cleaned the entire house i had gone into every room vacuumed mopped dusted and did all of that in every house everything was perfectly clean she would come home and she would be really appreciative. But if that night, after I had done that, I sat down on the recliner and watched the TV while she played on the ground with the kids with puzzles and with games, the value of cleaning the house, that deposit in her love bank, would be worth about one dollar, but the negative from me not spending quality time with her would far outweigh that. Does that make sense? It's not that one was bad and one's good, it's just for her, That doesn't mean a lot to her. For me, one of my greatest love languages is words of affirmation, and I tell people a lot. One of the huge gifts of this church is this church is really sweet about telling me, Drew, I'm really glad you're here. Drew, I really appreciate your sermon. Does that mean that other churches don't do that? No, it just is an example of something where, I've, I've told Catherine before, now, you know, you can hold me to this, If you told me I could make less money but have a church that actually seems to like me, or make way more money but be at a church where they're kind of like, eh, he's okay, I think I'd rather take less money because that's something that means more to me. My love language, okay? And so I want you to think about, and maybe don't spend too long doing this, but I want you to think of some examples in your, even if you're not married, just people that you know. But if you are married, this is going to apply more specifically. You know those times where you've thought, "Man, I did all this and you don't really seem to care that much." It's probably because it wasn't that big a deal on their love language. But then there's other things that you do that you think is just a simple thing and it meant the world to that person. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize I was doing something that's such a big deal. It's like, well, that is my love language. That's And obviously no one uses those terms. You know, Catherine isn't like, Drew, great love deposit. You know, she doesn't say that. But the idea is that she sees that. And and guess what? I have to learn. I have to learn how to say, okay, Drew, it's easier for you when you know that you want to show Catherine affection to just go buy something. It's easier to say, let's let's just how about I just buy you a gift? But what if that doesn't really mean very much to her? Does that make sense? What she really would want for me to show affection is to decide to show up and say, hey Catherine, you and I, we're gonna just go and we're gonna go to the park together. We're gonna go to Lake Whitney, we're gonna set up a tent. We're going to camp together. Those are the kind of things that for her are, would mean so much more than anything else. And so the thing that, uh, the transition I'm going to make is what if I told you that if we look at scripture, it seems like God also has love languages. And what if I told you that there's certain things for God that he says, I, I like that you do these things. But this thing right here is really my primary love language, okay? So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we've been going through this series on the powerful and the powerless, and today we're primarily going to be in the book of Amos in the Old Testament. And in Amos, Amos is a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. Not that you really need to, not that that helps with anything, but basically the king, Jeroboam, in Israel has acquired more land. He's become more powerful, more wealthy. And he has let idolatry increase in the land. And he's also become very neglectful of the poor in the kingdom, in God's Israel, in his country. And Amos travels from southern Judah up and he starts to proclaim these messages. He starts speaking these prophecies of, listen, God is not too pleased with us right now. And the way he begins is he starts by listing all of the judgment that's coming on Israel's neighbors. He talks, he says, um, in, in Amos 1, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Damascus, even for four. And then he talks about the judgment coming on Damascus. Then later he says, for three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent. Then he lists out the judgment coming to Gaza. And then he goes to Tyre, and then he goes to Edom, and then he goes to Ammon, then he goes to Moab, and he... And and what one person I read said, it's almost like he's listing all these neighboring countries to Israel, but he's kind of like making a target around Israel and a target around God's place. He's listing all these, and then finally we get to Amos chapter two, and he says this, verses six through seven: For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy to, for a pair of sandals. This is an example, I think you've heard about this before, but in scripture, if someone was really, really poor and destitute, one way they could get out of their poverty is by selling themselves into slavery to someone. So basically, you're not dying. You're not going to go hungry, but you're no longer free. You're now in debt to that person until you can be their slave long enough to get out of that debt. Um, I don't know exactly how the system worked, but this is something that Amos finds despicable. He's saying, y'all are so not interested in helping out the needy that you're fine with saying, yeah, go ahead and sell yourself as a slave for some silver. Hey, you needy person, I'll sell you for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down... Oh. Uh, okay, well, anyway, I guess I didn't keep going. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. He's just saying everything you're doing is, you're doing stuff where you're manipulating, you're, you're um, finding ways to take advantage of people for your own benefit. This part that I didn't put on there, I guess, is they lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. It's saying you're laying down beside these idol. With things that you just said, you know what? I'll I'll take that as a pledge of whenever some, you do something for someone, they they give you that pledge to say, you know what? I I did this thing for you, and I'm going to hold on to this until you pay me back. But they're using it. You know, they're not just holding on to it as a pledge; they're using it for themselves. And so, I, without continuing on. Each of these countries that Amos talks about, Gaza, Damascus, or cities, Gaza, Damascus, Tyre, all these neighboring cities, the the judgment is about this long. But in your Bible, when we get to the part about the judgment on Israel, it's three times as long as any of the other ones. And what he says in Amos 3, he says, Hear the word... Hear this word, people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Uh, This is obviously not a super happy sounding passage, but I think part of what we're supposed to see from this is he's saying, do y'all not remember when y'all were the oppressed ones? Do you not remember when y'all were slaves out of Egypt? Y'all are my people I brought out of Egypt and now you're doing this to other people? Of all people, y'all should not be the ones that ever hurt or bring injustice on people. You used to be slaves in Egypt. Why on earth would you do things that helps this this process of your needy people in your community giving themselves as slaves? How could you do that? And, and I also see in the second passage, you almost see he's saying, remember that promise I made to Abraham that you will be a chosen nation? He, you kind of get this sense that he's like, just because you're chosen doesn't mean you're not gonna you're not gonna face consequences. If anything, your consequences will be stronger because you had such a responsibility to be a blessing to the nations. But then, then later in Amos we get to we get to the the full force of Amos's uh, uh, message against Israel, and this is a pretty long reading. And uh, so just stick with me. I. Uh, I might need you to somebody shout out like next slide if I fall behind with the clicker, okay? But maybe, hey Melissa, would you be able to uh, would you be able to click the slides as I read? Would that work? Okay. <clears throat> Starting in verse four, this is what the Lord says to Israel: Seek Me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, those are star constellations, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. With a blinding flash he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor, and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses, and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent, and take bribes, and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. He's saying not that you should stay quiet. He's saying smart people just keep their mouths shut because if they said something, they could be in big trouble. He's not saying it's good to keep quiet. He's saying a lot of the prudent, smart people are just going, I see what's going on. It's not good, but I don't want to say anything because people are going to to be against me. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Here we go. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Uh, He's saying, all of you Israelites, you look forward to the day of the Lord because you're saying it's when all of our neighbors are going to get in big trouble. But there's just going to be just as much consequences for your injustice to the poor. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his head on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not, not, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Here we go. I hate and despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Okay, so that was pretty heavy and pretty hard. But the thing that I hope you see from this, and the point that I hope you see Amos making is, you Israelites are great at keeping up all these religious festivals. You're great at doing all the religion that you think you need to do. But you're ignoring the thing that matters the most to God, which is are you taking care of the poor and the oppressed, and are you seeking justice where others seek injustice? And so the first thing, if you're a note taker, any form of worship to God, while neglecting the needs of those around you, is empty and despicable to God. You might think that word despicable is a little strong, but I feel like Amos was a little stronger than despicable. And what I want you to hear is, and I'm gonna go back to my marriage analogy, if I know that Catherine cares the most about quality time, and whenever it's coming up on a day to celebrate her, and I show up with, guess what? I dropped $100 on this gift, is, I'm not saying she's gonna go, oh, this is terrible. She's not gonna do that, she's gonna smile, she's gonna say, oh, thank you. But I know that I didn't do the thing that shows the most love. Does that make sense? Now, yes, maybe some of you guys out there are ignorant to what your wife actually cares about. And you're actually innocent and able to go like, I didn't know, but I think if you've been married for more than two seconds, you know what your spouse actually values, okay? And it is on me to say, because I actually care about you, I'm actually going to think that means more to you. If we, as God's people... You can come to Wednesday night class, you can come to Sunday morning class, you can come to Sunday morning church, you can be someone who passes out the trays, you can be someone who helps fill the trays before service. All of those things, God appreciates them. We need them. But they are empty if you're not taking care of those around you. You with me? Now that's a hard message because guess what? Filling some some trays, passing out some trays, sitting in a Bible class, that's pretty easy compared to looking your neighbor in the eye and saying, I can tell that you're going through something difficult. How can I help you? Because one of those takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. One of those takes showing up. And both of them are important to God. Don't ever hear me say, when when I say giving a gift to Catherine, Catherine's not like, this is terrible. She doesn't say that. But she, we know it's got to be the right balance of none of these other things mean anything if you're not doing the thing that for God is most important. And so when you come in here, when I come in here, and I say, you know what, I'm doing all the things that God cares about. I'm keeping up with the religious festivals. I'm going to the, the right services as often as I need to. But if I know that I have a neighbor who is in need, whether they live next to me or they're in this community and I am openly ignoring them in God's eyes he would rather me just not even come to worship because that isn't what he wants so the next point if you're a note taker a true relationship with God begins with a transformation of how you treat the powerless Amos is pretty adamant he's saying listen We're all saying we're God's followers, but if we actually had a relationship with God, there's no way we would be letting these things happen. There's no way we would be letting people sell themselves into slavery because if we actually knew God and we actually had a relationship, we would know just how much he cares about us taking care of people. It goes back to what I made a joke about earlier. When you are early on in a relationship or in a marriage, I get it, quite a bit of it is... I'm married to this person because of what I'm going to get out of it. That is a natural human instinct. But the more you're in a marriage and you start to get to that place where you're actually in a true relationship with someone, the more time you spend thinking, how can I make my life about blessing that person rather than that person making everything that they do about blessing me? Okay? There's that critical point, hopefully, in every relationship where the husband and the wife figure it out and they go, you know what? really, I'm not in this for me, I'm in this to bless you. And I would say the same thing is true with our relationship with God, except for instead of it being, you know what, I'm not just in this for God to give me things, I am in this because if I have a true relationship with God, he has called us to be a blessing to the nations, to be a blessing to others, to, be, to take care of those who are in need, and to take care of the injustice that sometimes we're a part of. So we have this famous line, it is uh, on, it's, it's one of the best parts of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, where he says, he quotes Amos 5, and he says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And it would be really easy for me here to do something I like to do, which is where I say, you know, the word justice in Hebrew is this word, and the word righteousness in Hebrew is this word. And, uh, you know, whenever you look at the Hebrew words for it, and I'm just not going to do that today. Because you know what justice and righteousness are. Whenever you see this and you feel convicted, am I bringing justice to the people who need justice around me? You don't need to know the Hebrew word. You don't need anything fancy. Fance, fancy. I'm just going to keep it completely simple. I one time knew a person, um, and uh, hopefully this analogy lands. It's all I kept thinking of. I once knew a person who really talked a big game about, I, I make sure that nobody ever gets left out. Okay. They were like, this is my gift to the world. Whenever I'm in a setting and I see someone who's left out, I'm the one that makes sure they never feel left out. And what I knew, which really frustrated me, what I knew was they did care about someone not getting left out. But they only cared if they were getting left out. You with me? They were like, oh, I care about people not getting left out. But the second that they were in, They did not care at all who else was getting left out. They just cared about themselves getting left out. And this is how, in my opinion, we do justice. Whenever something happens, uh, I hope hope this analogy works, I don't know if it will, but I've talked with many people recently about how our our property taxes went up recently, or our, our assessment of our home value went up. If I get that letter in the mail, I'm pretty frustrated by the new assessment of my property. But guess what? What if I told you that Clifton did something where they only raised the property value of people that made less money than me? I probably wouldn't care. I hope I would care. I hope I would be able to say, well, you know what? God is a God of justice and equity, and I should care about all of us being treated the same. But you know what? Most of the time when it doesn't affect me, I don't care. And that's how, that is injustice. That is a lack of righteousness. And for God, we know when he's saying this, he's saying, listen, the way we're going to take care of this quenched land of injustice is when you just start to let justice and righteousness flow like a never-ending stream. So to end, I want you to think to yourself, what would God say about my religious practices? Look inward. I want you to look around us. What would God say about our religious practices, about people who claim, about in our community, any church or any person that claims to be a follower of Christ. I feel pretty good about the fact that I think we do a good job of taking care of those who are in need. But I would be lying if I didn't say that there, most of the time, I see my worship of God as showing up in this room and singing songs. And what God says is, no, if you really love me, your true worship of me is taking care of the powerless and those who need it in your community. And the other thing, it's great. I love when my people come together and sing songs. I love when my people worship together. But it means nothing to me if you're not actually worshiping me with the way you take care of your neighbors. I want you to think about that. And I want you to maybe, maybe when you go home, talk to your friend or your spouse and think to yourself, What is one person that we can think of in our neighborhood who is someone that we could help out, that could use a little bit more help? And I guarantee you, you will be doing more worshiping of God than anything we could accomplish in this room, okay? If any of you have any prayer requests, anything that you'd like the elders to be praying about, they're going to be standing at the doors. And if any of you would like to talk more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, our congregation, our community would love to talk with you. And uh, I'll be up here at the front if you'd like to talk while we stand and while we sing this song.